Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 163. And today, our topic is anger. Jesus teaching, Jesus wisdom on anger. And let me just say before we start this teaching that it's not something that we're ever going to get rid of, nor would we want to. So it's not so much don't ever get angry. Uh, That's not the angle that Jesus takes when it comes to anger. But, you know, this is, a, this is sort of a carry-on from last week. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks, and remember last week I mentioned that Jesus spent an awful lot of time teaching about relationships, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he highlights many, many common areas that we struggle with in relationship. And today, of course, we're looking at anger, which is a real, really common one, isn't it? Feelings of frustration, feelings of disappointment. Sometimes people will say things like, I don't really get angry. So for certain people, the anger might not be that obvious because anger can be expressed quietly. It's not always about being loud and complaining or raising your voice or snarky comments. It might not be that way at all. Anger can be expressed in many different ways. It could show itself as simply being very stubborn. You could be very quiet. You could be very angry and just be very stubborn and resist doing what someone is asking you to do. Not necessarily saying why, not necessarily discussing it, just not complying. Or another way that people express anger is is simply withdrawing. That's always a tricky one because you can't really ever sort things out, can you, if someone is withdrawn. Now, these are not healthy ways of dealing with anger. You know, the stubbornness, the resisting, the withdrawing, the arguing, the shouting, Not helpful at all, really, when you get right down to it. But uh, sometimes anger's good. Yeah, we wouldn't want to not have anger because sometimes it's absolutely necessary. I mean, it's an energy. It's like anything else, isn't it? So anger can be used for good or harm. When someone gets very angry about how someone is being treated, like if somebody's being unfairly treated and then you get angry about that and you step up and you want to help and you want to do something about it, you want to defend that person, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's all about helping people, isn't it? Not letting bullying happening around you or... It's like the ancient prophets. When the ancient the ancient prophets, when they got angry, what made them angry was when people really didn't care about the vulnerable in society. And remember in the Old Testament, there was this phrase called, the widows and the orphans were neglected. And it was like, yeah, they're the ones that don't have anyone to help them. And so the ancient prophets were always talking about you know, they would get angry about how people wouldn't care 
about the widows and the orphans. And Jesus, similar sort of vein in his teaching, he got angry when people went to temple and they were being taken advantage of. Remember that scene in the Gospel of John where he turns over the tables and he chases out the money changers and he's angry. Why? Because people were being exploited. They couldn't possibly pray in that area of the temple. So, yeah, so he got angry and he did something about it. He, he let that, right, what we call righteous anger, move him to do something about the situation to protect someone or a group of people. That kind of anger is good. We wouldn't want to get rid of that. But, you know, for the, most of us, the majority of our time, our anger really tends not to be primarily about justice for other people. It's more egocentric than that. So, and that's the kind of anger, this sort of egocentric anger that Jesus warns against, really. Um, and again, it was because, as we saw last week and the week before, he's concerned about our relationships, how we will live together as a family, as a church, uh, as, as a group of friends. It doesn't really matter. It's wherever people gather, how will we treat one another? Now, remember, these first listeners, the very first people who heard this, were learning how to live in this new Jesus-led community. So it's like, Peter, James, John, Mary, Lazarus, follow me and I'll show you how to live in this world. So being a student of Jesus is a group thing. Being a student, a disciple, a follower, it's really about learning to live in community because quite frankly, if you're all by yourself and nobody's bugging you, you think you're a lot more emotionally and spiritually advanced than you actually are. It was like, I remember one time I was on sabbatical and I was off for months and I was doing all my favorite things. I was biking and swimming, doing a little bit of painting and doing a little bit of music, walking the dog, making a nice meal at night. No hassles, perfect home life. The only, I only interacted with my favorite people and if you had asked me during that three-month sabbatical, do you have trouble with anger? I'd say, no, it's not an issue. No, it's easy. What's the big problem with anger? Well, I was, it just was untested, really. So many things, you know, when you're in a very peaceful environment and you're very happy and you don't have to interact with people that bug you, you know, you're untested in many ways. But for Jesus, it was very important that we live in relationship with one another. It's in the rough and tumble of the group or the family or the church or the office or the work project or the neighborhood meeting or the boardroom. That's where we are tested. You know, this is where anger surfaces. It doesn't surface when it all is well, right? 
It only surfaces when, you know, we're not getting what we want or someone hasn't appreciated us or we've been overlooked in some way or we haven't been affirmed enough or someone's been mean to us. And overall, people in general have very good ways of justifying their anger. And Jesus addresses this in the passage that we're looking at in Matthew 5. Uh, this whole idea about getting angry. You know, it's just so fascinating that we can take any, any encounter or incident or conversation and before you know it, we can rewrite the whole story so that we stand out as good and in the right. We call it nowadays denial. Jesus didn't use that word, of course. But it is that tendency to downplay our own part when a relationship breaks down and to paint ourselves in a favorable light. So in this part of the text, Jesus says, um, you've, I'm going to read you the line. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry at your brother or sister, you will be liable for judgment. So if you go to the altar and there's something wrong and you need to be reconciled, go and be reconciled. Or you will be liable for hell fire. Pretty strong words, isn't it? That's from Matthew 5, 21. I should mention a little bit about this word hell, by the way, because he speaks about hell quite a bit in Matthew's gospel. And we tend to make huge leaps and jumps here as soon as we use the word hell. We tend to assume a fiery place of torment and punishment, everlasting punishment, this kind of thing. The actual word, however... And I always like to go back to the original language because it really sheds quite a bit of light on the meaning of the text. The actual word for hell that Jesus used in the original language was Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. -E -E. And in his day, in Jesus' day, it was actually the local dumping ground for all the garbage of the day. And it was on the, the south wall of Jerusalem. So it was actually a place. So when he said, you know, things like, watch yourself or you'll end up in Gehenna. It was actually a place. It was a place called that. And his first students, obviously the first students, nobody would go near Gehenna, right? It's the place to be avoided. It's the unclean place. It's where the garbage is, disease. Of course, they didn't know so much about disease then, but they certainly knew about unclean places and they certainly knew to avoid garbage pits. So it was a place where everyone would stay away from. And it was very, very common for rabbis in Jesus' day, including Jesus, to commonly 
use exaggerated language to get their point over. So he would say wild things like, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Or, you know, if you get angry with your brother or sister, you'll end up in Gehenna. You'll be in the brink of hell. Now, I'm not, I don't want to downplay the importance of it, but it's good to understand how the rabbis spoke and what they were meaning when they would use this kind of language. You know, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He wasn't really expecting anyone to be plucking their eyes out, right? It's a way of speaking that arrests the listener's attention. So when he's talking about anger and he's talking about hell, it's like, listen, pay attention, students. This is... This is a dangerous, anger can be a dangerous thing. It can be an incredibly destructive force that runs through relationships, families, countries, and the world. It causes massive suffering and death of various kinds. It's important. It's serious. It kills. Words kill. Pay attention to how anger is directing your life. It is a powerful force. It can change your direction. It can make you go in a direction that you could very well regret. So he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. Jesus says, okay, I agree with that, but let me raise the bar here. Let me get to the heart of the matter. I don't want you to simply avoid killing. That's relatively easy for us to do, right? You get to the end of the day, oh, had a good day, didn't kill anybody today. No, 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 Jesus is saying. What I want you to do is begin to develop a kind, caring, loving disposition. And that's not going to be tested until you're angry and disappointed and frustrated. You see, he's always going, and you'll notice this in all of his teachings, He's always going to the heart of the matter. So he's saying, now look, I understand you all look good on the outside. Here you are, you're my followers. You want to see yourselves as kind, compassionate people. That's a good thing, nothing wrong with that. Now, how you present yourself on the outside, with the help of God, we're going to clean up the inside. Actually, he liked to use the illustration of a cup. He'd like to say, if the cup is clean on the outside, it needs to be clean on the inside too. No pretending. This is about transformation. This is about spiritual growth. This is about emotional maturity. It all goes hand in hand. And of course, it's the same thing with anger. You know, um, I found a nice quote from Amy Odden, she says, it's one thing to behave rightly, it's another thing entirely for one's heart to be orientated toward love. Yeah, she said, yeah, it's, it's, it's relatively easy after a few years' practice to, to put on a good show. I know that some people can't, but you know, for some of us, it's, it's not that hard to, 
to behave rightly externally. But for Jesus, it's really not simply about avoiding a few bad behaviors. It's about learning God's way of living and working in this world. It's not about avoiding a few big sins, whatever you think that would be. This is really about learning how to be a truly loving person, which is extremely difficult when we're surrounded by people that we just don't like for whatever reason. But this is what he's always pushing for. You know, what does love look like, you know, when you're in a situation where you're full of anger or irritation or you just simply withdraw or you want revenge? You know, these are all sort of uncompatible states of the heart, Jesus would say. No, no, that's, that's no way to live. You don't want to carry that baggage around with you. Anger is baggage. You don't want to carry that all the time. You've heard it said, don't murder. Okay, Jesus said, but I say to you, are you angry? Are you angry? So he's raising the bar, and he does this on all of the commandments, all of them, not just anger, not just murder. He goes through all, all 10. So... It's about learning that the insight, well, then we come, I guess, I suppose, a, a simple way of saying it is, is that we become people of integrity. Let's make sure your insides match the outside. If you present yourself as kind, loving, if this is what you project, I'm a nice, I'm a nice person, I'm an easygoing person, or... I care about people. I'm a good person, basically. Okay, fine, Jesus would say. Okay, let's, let's just make sure that that's who you are on the inside. Now, remember, Jesus never gave a whole bunch of new commandments. He didn't really need to. All he said is, is that you have to learn how to love God, love yourself, and love people. That's all the guidance you need. And... You can start by loving yourself and loving people. Because if you do that, that's what it looks like to love God, right? Because sometimes we think, well, what does that look like, love God, you know? Yeah, well, it means learn how to love people, learn how to care for people, learn how to care for yourself. For some of us, loving yourself might be the biggest challenge you have, right? Because for some of us, you put other people first all the time. And you never think about yourself. Well, Jesus would say that's, about, that's not very balanced, is it? That's not very balanced. No. Love yourself so you can love people well. That's what loving God looks like. Yes, being a follower, it's not about pretending to be something we're not, although this has plagued the church from the beginning and other religious organizations too, not just the Christian church, there's plenty other places that, uh, in the world that people who pretend to be something that they're not, not just the church folk, right? This is a world problem. But for us 
who are following and looking to God for help. It's like, what does love look like? When I have to deal with an ex-spouse who's anything but gracious, what does God's way look like with the bully that I have to deal with at work? Am I going to become like that bully to survive? Is that how it's going to end up? Well, Jesus would say it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Or what does love look like when I'm so terribly disappointed in a relationship? Or what does what God's way look like when I'm really, really struggling to forgive? Now, there are no pat answers for these kinds of questions because this has worked out over time between me and God. And sometimes we'll bring in a good friend to help. And that's always a good thing if you have someone that you can, you can talk to about these things. Actually, a good counselor would help too. But, you know, a lot of these things are worked out over time. And at sometimes we're wrestling with ourselves because we see God's way and we don't want to go that way. For example, we know that we ought to forgive, but we can't. So we're in that place of struggle. And that we can stay there for a while. I mean, fortunately, God has ways to give us a push and get us out of that struggle. But yeah, there's certainly times where you, where you may find yourself uh, with a lot of tension in, the, in that area of, of forgiveness for a long time. Uh, sometimes we don't deal with anger. We just bury the problem. And then it, the problem with burying a problem is, is that it keeps on surfacing. You know, you get temporary relief and then something will remind you or you'll see the person or uh, you'll remember something and it's like, yeah, it's unfinished business. Unfinished business. God is always unearthing unfinished business in some way you know it's it's almost like what's the point in resisting <laughs> we should uh, maybe learn from our our past in some way and and be more open to God coming to help us I think one of the keys with anger as with anything but I think with anger is to not deny it to ourselves you know, I think we can get really stuck when we are, when we're doing this burial problem, burial, burying it underneath the carpet, pretending it's not a problem when it is a problem. I think it's healthier and better to admit it. To admit it to ourselves, to admit it to God. Actually, it can even help admitting it to another person again. Because I think it starts the process of healing and releasing. And that's ultimately where we're going with this. Ultimately, we are acknowledging, not resisting it. You know, there's no point in resisting what is. It's like, it's almost like a confession. It's almost like, you know what, God? Yes, I am really angry about this. 
and I'm, I'm looking to you for a way forward. I have found that healing, because I think it is a sort of healing, it tends to come in smaller steps. When you know what to do, you need to carry through and do it. If you don't know what to do, then you're in a time of waiting. And it's the kind of waiting with open hands rather than clenched fists, if you know what I mean. It's, it's kind of a waiting that's saying, well, God, here, here I am. You know that this is a problem for me or this person is a problem or this past situation is a problem. And now I am, I'm waiting on you and I'm looking to you for the next step. That's really the beginning prayer and the beginning heart cry when we start to look at our anger, when we start to look at our frustrations and our disappointments because we're really ultimately looking to God to help us to release these things so that we can live in freedom. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry, God, we don't want to carry a whole lot of baggage around with us. We want to live in freedom and walk in your steps freely, without frustration, without anger. We want that peace that you promise us. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.